we started a new series. And um, this series is out of the book of John, and we are looking at the I am's of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, the Gospel of John is written to reveal Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So in that book, when the Gospel writer John writes, he uses a lot of stories and a lot of things to reveal Christ as God. One of the keys is the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Jesus is describing himself to people. And he uses these I am statements. And last week, we spent time in Exodus getting a foundation for the I am part of it. If I were to look at you today and say, I am a preacher or I am a pastor, you would focus on the word pastor or preacher. In this culture, when somebody used the word I am, particularly to a Jewish audience, they didn't focus on the I am what, they focused on the I am because the I am was a statement basically linked to God himself. And we, I talked last week about Moses. And what happened is Moses, God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when God called him at the burning bush, he said to them, okay, God, if I'm going to go before the people and tell them that you sent me, who do I say sent me? Um, and by the way, I've got to correct this, okay, because this has been driving me nuts all week. Um, my wife, my loving wife, um, Sunday explained to me that I got it wrong, and she's right. She said, Zephora was not Moses' mom. And I said, no, Zephora was Moses' wife. She said, well, you said it was his mom. His mom was Amran, and dad was Jochebed. So anyway, so you can just correct that in your thinking, because I know that bothered you all week, too. Uh, So anyway. (laughs) Anyway, so anyway, that's where we are. So uh, anyway, so Moses um, with... um, he said, he said, I am has sent you. And then he linked the, the phrase, I am, to Jehovah or Yahweh, which in the Jewish world is a sacred name for God. It was blasphemy to use that word. The Jews have such a reverence for that. Um, that uh, the name Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, that, you know, to, to link something, to link yourself to that was blasphemy. And so we have these occasions in which Jesus says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the life and the resurrection. So when Jesus says the I am blank, the Jewish people went, oh, because of the I am part of it. And Jesus would then take something of, and he did this all the time. He took something that was common and practical and known in everyday world and drew a spiritual application to it, okay? So, last week we laid out that groundwork. This morning we're going to get into one of the, one of the I Am statements of Christ, and it is uh, in John uh, chapter 6. Uh, it is the I Am statement where Jesus says, um, I am the bread of life. So, John chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of background so you know um, what we are... Uh, as we jump into this story, what has happened is Jesus has fed the 5,000. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And you remember that, the loaves and the fishes. And the people said, okay, we want to we wanna make you king. And Jesus went, no, not, 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 not now. I'm coming as a servant um, and a savior. I, I'll come back again as king of kings and lord of lords, but that's not now. So Jesus kind of goes away. 
um, to a mountain. The disciples, they don't know what to do, so they do what they're comfortable doing, and they jump back in a boat, and they go off a little way, and then Jesus, and then early the next morning, Jesus comes walking on the water, and that's not the, the, the Peter thing, it's a different thing. Jesus comes walking on the water, and the disciples pull the boat into the shore, and so now Jesus is on the shore with the disciples, <coughs> pretty close to where he's fed the 5,000, okay? And as he's, done, as he's doing that, the people now that were fed start making their way down, okay? Because Jesus, they, they want to be close to Jesus. That's where we're going to pick up the story. So uh, with that in mind, um, guys, you got me? Nope, next one, there we go. Here we go, John chapter 6. Jesus said, answered unto him and said, truly, truly, anytime you see that in the Bible, it means pay attention. This is important, okay? Barely, barely, truly, truly. All right, wake up, pay attention, here we go. I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So all these people are gathered there. Jesus is standing there, and he goes, look, the reason you're here is because I fed you. That, that, that's why you're here. Be honest with yourself. That's why you're all sitting here, because yesterday I fed you, and you came back because you want more stuff from me. Do not work for food which perishes. He said, you, you guys are missing it. You guys are all about what I can do for you right now. Today, the immediate, the whatever's happening in your life now, that I yesterday gave you food, now you came back, you want more stuff from me. He said, you're missing the boat when you put that emphasis on life and make life all about the here and now. He said, don't work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He said, that's what God's going to give you, for on him the Father God has sent his seal. He said, look, God is trying to provide something for you that is much, much more important than physical food like I gave you yesterday. He said, that, that's what you need to understand. Okay? Um, Therefore, they said unto him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? So he says, okay, you just tell us what we need to do so we can get it. That's what we do. We're all in. And Jesus answered to them and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. You want to know what you need to do? You need to believe in the person that God sent to you. That's what you need to do. You need, now, let, let me just give it a little quick um, rabbit trail thing. In the Western world, when we talk about belief, we think intellectual. Okay? You need to understand that it goes far beyond that. It's, it's more than just a mental ascent. Um, if you're, and I'm, not, I'm not a poker player, um, but if you are a poker player, um, in poker they have, a, they have a term that at some point you decide that you're going you're gonna to put it all in and you're going to be all in. And you take everything that you have and you push it into the table and you go, I'm all in on this, on this bet. That's the analogy. Belief in the New Testament time was an all in kind of thing. It was, a, I'm going to take everything, and there's nothing else. I, I'm, I'm giving it all. I'm, I'm all in on this kind of thing. So when the Bible talks about belief, that's the idea that it's talking about. It's talking about a, not a holding back at all, but a, a 100% body, soul, mind, emotions, lifestyle, everything. It's a, and in fact, some of these people who are going to follow are going to lose their lives because they called themselves Christians. You know, a lot of you may not be aware of it, but this week, one of the, one of the um, celebrations this week 
was uh, William Tyndale. Um, and it was this past week that William Tyndale was actually burned. He was strangled and burned alive. And you know why? Because he put the Bible in the language, in the English language for the first time. He put it in the language of the people. And they said, if you're going to do that, you're going to lose your life. Because we don't want common people to have the Bible in their language. We want to control it. And so, the, you know, he was put to death because of that. That's, that's an all-in kind of thing. Okay? And this is what we're talking about. Jesus looks at him and says, this is the work that you believe in him whom he has sent. He said, so, if you want to follow me, if you, if you really want this kind of life, this kind of thing that goes beyond this, that's what you got to do. Then he goes on. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe in you? He said, okay, so what are you going to do for us? You show us, and then we'll believe. You need to understand this. God's way is reversed. God says, believe, and you'll see. The world says, see, and you'll believe. Now, think about this for a minute. They're now asking Jesus <coughs> for another miracle. Another sign. They just saw one. They watched, they watched two loaves and five, or, or five loaves and two fishes feed 5,000 plus people. And now they're going, okay, you show us something and we'll believe in you. Where were you yesterday? You just saw this incredible miracle, and yet now you're saying, show us more and we'll follow. Because again, their mindset was about what they could get. Their mindset was about me. Their mindset was about here and now. And so what happens is, he says, and then here's what they come to him and say. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. In the Jewish world at this time, the rabbis taught that when Messiah would come, he would replicate the miracles of Moses. So a lot in the Jewish world, in the Jewish thinking, was that when, when Messiah would come, he would provide manna from heaven. He would part the waters. He would do some of those kinds of things. And this is what they're reflecting in their, in, in their, in their, their belief system. They, so they said, look, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he's getting bread out of heaven to eat. Okay, if we're going to follow you and you're the Messiah and you're the guy, then, then let's see some manna. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, wake up, pay attention, here we are. It was not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven. So first of all, he corrects their theology right off the bat. He goes, okay, let's get, this, let's get this straight. Moses did not give manna. God did. And he goes on, and he says, it was not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. He said, first of all, manna was not really the true bread, because manna you had to do every single day, and it only lasted for 40 years, and then it was a done deal. Real bread. Real bread that satisfies, that's out of heaven. And that, that, that's the true bread. And that's going to come from God himself. And he goes on. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So now he takes the analogy and he says, and let me tell you something. The bread that's from heaven, it's not bread, it's a person. And that it's a person that's going to come down out of heaven and it's going to give life to the world. 
Because again, manna was all about the substance of life. If you don't know the story, in, in the Old Testament, when Israel needed to be fed, God provided them manna every day except the Sabbath. So six days, they would collect manna, and then on the sixth day, they would get two things full, and, and, and there's a whole system of it where God took care of them for 40 years. But when they went into promised land, it was done. No more manna. Um, and it, studying manna, it's a fascinating thing. You know what the literal interpretation of manna is? Whatchamacallit. What is it? You know, they got up in the morning, the first day that they saw manna, they went, what is it? Manna. That manna, what is it? That's what it means. So it's like a who's on first thing. But anyway, um, so he said, look, and, and he said, this, the, the, the manna that comes from God is, comes down out of heaven, it gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us always this bread. We want it. Give it to us. If this is going to take care of our need, if this is going to be a deal, we, that's what we want. Notice what he says. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them, here's a statement. I am. <gasps> what a Jewish Jew person would have done. The bread of life. You know who I've been talking about? Me. It's me. I am. Referencing himself to the God of heaven. I am. Yahweh, Jehovah. I am. I am that I am. The bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you, you have seen me, and yet you don't believe. He said, I'm standing in front of you. I'm from God. I'm telling you you need to believe in me. And you just want more miracles and more stuff. You really, truly believe in me. You really, truly follow me. You don't need anything else. I will meet that need of life way past this world. And then he goes on to say, I said unto you, you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Okay, some of you really need to stop and pay attention to this. Because some of you come from backgrounds where, you know, you, you look at your past and you look at what you've done and you look at how you have acted and, and everything else, you say, God can't use me. God doesn't want me. I'm, I'm too banged up. I'm too, you know, I've, I've made too many mistakes. I've, I, you know, I'm so far gone that God can't love me. You need, to, you need to pay attention to this verse. You know what it says? The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You come, I'll take you in. That's the deal. Yeah, but what about, time out. Did you come? Yes. Then I take you in. That's the way it works. You come to me, you're in. You want to believe in me? I'll take you in. But what about, no, no. Did you want to come, did you come to me? Yes. Then I'll take you in. He said, that's what he's saying to these people. Because again, you've got to understand, he's talking to people who are socially outcast. You look at the life of Christ. How many times he went to people who were social outcasts, people who, who literally society had pushed to the fringes and said, we want nothing to do with you. And Jesus says, 
What? You're a leper? Yeah, come here. You can be part of us. You're a prostitute? Come on. You're a tax collector, which were they had their whole own their own category of sinners. Come on. I'll even go to your house. I'll meet your friends. Why? Because he says, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down to heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He said, I got a job here, and my job is to do what God has called me and God has asked me to do, and my job is to explain to you that I'm offering something to you. All you got to do is say yes. And if you come, I'll, I'll, if you're come, you're in. Notice then what he goes on to say. He goes on to say this. This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, I will lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have, not might have, will have, very explicit, eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on that last day. Okay, so let me talk about a couple of things. Um, before we get into the application of it and, and how it how it affects our lives, um, we have this is a non-denominational church. So what that means is that we're we're kind of like Baskin Robbins. There's like 31 flavors here. All right, um, there are people. Yeah, kids are going what? Yeah, Google it. Um, uh, here's the deal. Okay, uh, we have people from. Roman Catholic background, Southern Baptist, Bible, Presbyterian, Open Bible, Methodist, Lutheran, um, Assembly, uh, you know, just throw something in the pot, it's probably here, okay? Um, so we all have different things that we bring to the table when we start talking about this thing. And some of you came from backgrounds where um, you were taught, um, some of you came from backgrounds that you were taught that you can't know for sure you're going to heaven, Okay? Um, some of you came from backgrounds where you were taught that um, if you do certain things, you can make sure that you go to heaven. Um, and some of you were taught that um, if you do certain things, you lose your way to heaven and you lose your salvation. And then some of you were taught that you could never, ever, ever lose it. Okay? So, so let me try to give you a really short synopsis of that whole spectrum of things right here. Okay? When it comes to theology, what you have to do is you have to ask yourself this. Does my salvation depend on what I do or what God did? That's what it comes down to. Is my salvation dependent upon God or me? Right? What this passage clearly teaches is it's a God thing. Now, I know there's other passages, and we can argue it, and we can debate it, and everything else. You go, well, where are you on that spectrum? I'm here. This is where I am. This is where we are as a church. That when you come to God, God grabs hold of you, and he ain't going to let go. You're his. And his job, his responsibility, is to keep you in the fold. And that's what he does. So I don't go into the camp of the idea. My idea is exactly what it says here. I came to God. I asked God to be my Lord and Savior. I asked God to forgive me of my sin. He took me in, and he ain't going to let me go. And as his child, if I start to get out of line, 
he's going to, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to be incredibly good and gracious to me. And if I continually ignore that, then God, like any good parent, is going to lovingly do things in my life to get me back on track. We call it discipline of God and, and all kinds of terms or, or that kind of thing. But the only thing is, as a good parent, when my kids start to make bad decisions, I try to influence those decisions in different ways to help them realize this is not a path that's healthy for you in the end. And God does the same thing with his children. And so, and there's all kinds of stories. You know, there's the whole story of the, the, the sheep, you know, the 99 the healthy ones and the one that got lost. There's all kinds of illustrations. There's the prodigal son, which is really a story about a loving father, not necessarily the son, but the father. So I, I just want to, before I get too far into this, I, I really want to, I, I want you to understand that we believe that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God doesn't let go. And some of you struggle with that. It's like you, you, you still want to feel like you've got to earn something from God. Listen, we just sang about it. It is grace and nothing but grace. And God is gracious to us. So incredible grace that he's offered each of us. Okay? So um, get, let's talk about the bread of life idea. So let's understand a couple things. Um, this is a really cool um, theme to develop throughout, uh, to, to study. Okay? Um, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. What it mean? The bread of life was born in the house of bread. Okay? So as you get into Christmas, I mean, like I say, there, there's so many levels to this. All right? um, you and I need to understand that in this culture, and in most cultures in the world, bread is a staple of life. I mean, you know, you know, we get up in the morning and we go, you know, well, you know, we might have bread with the meal, and, and, and we might not have bread with the meal, and for some of you it might be like we've got to have gluten-free bread, and then um, for some of you then it's got to be, you know, um, it's got to be like, like spicy bread or, um, you know, covered in real butter bread. And, you know, we all have kind of this idea where for us bread is not something that we have to have every meal. In a lot of cultures in the world, it is a staple of every day. Um, because in a lot of cultures in the world, it is the main source of, um, of, of, of a meal. And this culture, everybody knew about bread. I mean, there's actually been wars fought over wheat because it, it, it represented the ability of a culture or people to eat. So, uh, you know, we lose that today because bread is just kind of, you know, we go, we go and we buy it off a shelf and, and it's in a nice little bag and we don't have to spend time making it and creating it and all those kinds of things. And it, by the way, we, I have a bread maker going in the lobby just so you can smell it as, on your way out because I didn't want you to forget this. Um, you go, what are you going to do with it? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Uh, we have a bread maker. We had, you know, when bread makers were a fad, we had a bread maker. So I went to my wife and I said, hey, honey, I said, I want to make like bread in the lobby, but before I do that, I need to test out. So I go go to Walmart, and I want to buy the little bread package thing so that you can make your own bread. So literally, we're standing at Friday night, you know, crazy. We're Friday night. My wife and I um, are standing in the aisle trying to find bread package, prepackaged bread stuff. We're having this discussion in the middle of the aisle. A couple walks up and they go, um, "Are you talking about like bread machine stuff?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "We're looking for the same thing." I said, I don't see it. She said, we don't either. I said, I don't know who would have it. She goes, 
I've been to this place, this place, this place. I found one package at Fairway, and I bought it. We're like, well, thanks. That doesn't help me. I need two packages. <laughs> so anyway, so we're having this discussion, and it's like, okay, I don't know what else. So Amazon was the answer. But anyway, um, so anyway, because I mean, I remember you get that stuff anyway. You can't get it anymore. So then I actually had to go home and, and, and find like a bread machine cookbook thing and, and find out how to make it. Okay, it, it's, you know, the bread I'm making out there, it's water, flour, sugar, salt, and yeast. And I punch the little button, and four hours and 15 minutes later, it's going to pop out all done. Um, and it wasn't that way in the early days, but, you know, they had to make, everybody had to make bread that way. And so, you know, it, it was a staple of life for everybody else. For us, it's a luxury. So we got into that fad years ago. Again, if it's a gadget in the kitchen, I'm going to buy it. So we have a bread maker, and then we couldn't find it, and I called the kids, and they had borrowed it, and they brought it back, and so, you know, but now you can't find packages for it. So anyway, but it, it, it's just one of these ideas where, you know, we lose this, this idea of how interconnected it was to life. And so when Jesus is talking, again, he has just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Um, so, and they have brought up the idea of manna, of being able to provide on a daily basis for people. And so Jesus then goes into this story, and basically he looks at the people and he says, listen, here's what you need to understand. I'm the bread of life. It's not manna from, he- it's not manna from heaven. It's not manna from Moses. It's manna from God, and I am it. So let's talk about a couple. Oh, 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 no, that's a finger thing. Um, let's talk about a couple applications for us. First thing is this. Bread was needed for life. In that culture, if you didn't have bread, you died. You needed food and water. The cheapest food there was was bread. Everybody made bread. Um, it was a staple. All you needed was I don't know how they made it. Well, I'm sure I know how they made it back then because it it's like pita bread that's on a, on a yiddo, which is awesome, which I think we should make as, as a staple of life for all of us. But anyway, uh, it's this idea. It's this idea that it was needed for everyday life. And what Jesus does, and, and this is what's so, so awesome about this story, they come to him wanting stuff for here and now. And Jesus says, time out. You're missing it. It's not about here and now. It's about what's after this. It's about eternal, not temporary. It's about what lies beyond this world. And they wanted stuff that was all about this world. I think there's a great lesson in there for us. It is really easy to get sucked into making life about this. You do it, I do it, we all do it. It is really easy to forget there is an eternal dimension to this world, to this life. That this, what you and I experience here, what we experience in our lifetime, is but a small little drop in the ocean of eternity. And I see a lot of people lose that. And they, they minimize the eternal aspect, the life after aspect. And they spend all their time on the here and now. And we all get sucked into it because it, it's just human nature. 
But Jesus confronts these people and tries to get them to understand it is about what is beyond, not about just what's here. All you want is another sign, another feeding, another thing that I can give you. And that's not going to do anything for you. I'm offering you something that will give you life with me for eternity. I'm offering you something that goes far beyond this world. And I want to challenge you because I think we forget that. I think we get so tied up in raising our kids that we forget to teach our kids the value of a spiritual dimension to everything that they do. I mean, we have a, we have a plan for you know, what we want our kids to do in, in academics or sports or theater or music or computers or whatever else. We, we come up with plans for that, but we don't have any plan. We don't have any thinking about how are we going to instill spiritual principles in the lives of our children? Or how are we going to instill spiritual lives in the, in the world of our grandchildren? Um, you know, and, and it, it, whenever we have those opportunities, it, and Jesus is saying, look, you need to understand, I'm the bread of life. And as a bread of life, I am something that is far beyond the physical kind of bread that you deal with every single day. There's another dimension to this thing. Second idea is this. In order for bread to have any value or any purpose at all, it, you have to consume it. You know? I mean, I made a loaf of bread yesterday, and we sat it on there, and Gene and I are going, okay, who's going to try it first? You know? And finally, last night, she cut into it, and she goes, okay, I'm going to try this. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll watch. You know? <laughs> if you're alive in 30 minutes, I'll go, take a, I'll go cut a slice. But other than that, it was just going to sit there and get hard and stale and go to the chickens. Um, I don't know. Do you give chickens bread? You don't? I don't know. My chickens will eat anything. Um, uh, but, I mean, you know, it's the idea of if, if it just sits there, it doesn't do anything. And, and listen, the whole idea of Jesus Christ as the bread of life, unless you, and, and this is what Jesus was trying to get across over and over again as he was teaching, unless you make it personal, unless you receive me, unless you accept me into your life, I, I'm not going to do you any good. It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing between you and God that just like for that bread to have any purpose at all, I had to eat it or give it to somebody who was going to eat it. In the same way, we have to personally accept Christ as our Savior. We have to, if you will, partake of the bread of life. Jesus made this statement. It got him in a lot of trouble because the next thing you know, Christians, in the early, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Christians in the early, early, early church were accused of cannibalism because he said, you know, eating, eating flesh, talked about this idea of bread, and it got him in a lot of trouble. Um, it got the early church in a lot of trouble. But it was, it was a symbolic thing of this idea of, look, you, you, you have to make it personal. Um, there were people who were standing there as Jesus was talking to them. They had seen the miracles, but they didn't believe and believe it or not, we have people here who we love having you here, and we are thrilled that you're here, but it's not personal to you yet. You, you, you see it, you appreciate it, you value it, but you really don't believe it. You really haven't gone to the point where you said, I'm all in. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. 
I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sin. I'm going to ask God to be my Lord and Savior. And you know what? I'm not going to trust anything else. Not church, not some hoop I jumped through, not something that I did. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And, I, and I, want, I want you to understand, when Jesus was very, very, you're going to see this over and over and over again in these I am statements. Jesus is very clear. If you're going to be with me for eternity, that's what you have to do. And that is the only way that you can be with me for eternity. And so there is that dynamic to it. The third dynamic to it is this. Um, bread satisfies. Okay? That's why it was a staple in, in many cultures, because it would take care of the hunger pains. You could eat it, and, 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 and it would satisfy the hunger. Most of the things you and I eat never quite satisfy. We always want it again. You know, yesterday, uh, we, we rarely run out of anything at our house, because, you know, we're, we're like you. We live in the boonies. A lot of you, we live in the boonies, so... You know, you got a trip in and stuff. We, we ran out of creamer. And, and in our house, I mean, that's like DEFCON 5. I mean, that's a big deal in our house. And I don't know how it happened, okay? I mean, it's my fault. I take ownership of it. I don't know how it happened, but I poured it out, and I went to get another one, and it was like, oh, we don't have a backup. So I told my wife, I said, I got to go get creamer. So anyway, we had some things going on yesterday. So about 7 o'clock last night, I ran into the store to get creamer. And when I'm walking by, there was a sale on three bags of potato chips. <laughs> and while I was standing at the creamer, I noticed the French onion dip. And in my mind, the two crossed. And I thought, you know what? I can't tell you the last time I had chips and dip. I think I need to do this. You know why? because it never satisfied. And I found out that it's kind of like that, you, you can't eat just one. And so last night when I got home, I got the French onion dip and the bag of chips, and it was like, this is awesome. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm thinking, man, that would taste so good, I need to do that again. <laughs> Why? Because it doesn't satisfy. Because you're always gonna need something else. You're always gonna need it again. Jesus is saying, you need to understand. I will satisfy that longing in your life, that void, that emptiness, that ability to help you get through the struggles and difficulties and hardships of life. I will help you with that because I am the bread that satisfies. I'm the bread that will take care of your needs. I'm the bread that when you go through those crises in life, and you will go through them, there will be a peace that comes from me that the world doesn't understand. There'll be a grace that comes on your life, that even though it might be a world of, of, of chaos, there can be a peace in your heart that it's going to be okay. When you come up against that thing that, and that person's treating you wrong and they're doing you wrong, I will give you the ability to be kind when people are unkind to you. I will give you the ability to love when people are unloving towards you. I will give you the ability to control your temper when everything in you wants to lash out. I can do that for you. I can satisfy all of those needs and cravings in your life. I can teach you how to do it differently. And I will do it from the inside out. I am the bread of life. I can do that for you. But you have to put your faith and trust and believe in me.
That's what he says to these people. 2,000 years later, he's saying the same thing. And there are people who are running around trying to find satisfaction in life in things and relationships and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm the bread of life. I have come down from heaven to offer you eternal life. If you come, I'll say yes. That's what he says. And that message hasn't changed for 2,000 years. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background. I don't care how bad you think you are. God says, I'm the bread of life. You come to me, I'll take you in, I'll make you mine, and I won't let you go. And I will satisfy that need, and you will be with me, not just for this world, but forever in the world to come. That is what Jesus was trying to get across. And it is our prayer that everyone here believes in the sense of we're all in. We're all in. So I end this morning with this. Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, presents himself as the bread of life. It's a bread that is offered to everyone who will accept it. A bread that is eternal and that meets a spiritual need. If we believe and trust, we can possess a bread that forever satisfies. And that is our prayer for each of us. And then we share that with a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy to spend our focus and our energy and our time on the here and now. 